fascinating facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Hey, welcome to the show for this Monday. It's another week. It is the 17th of April, 2023. So glad you're talking to me today. I'll give you the phone number to call, 888 9149. Toll free to talk to me, 888-914-9149. You can also email the program, kale, C-A-L-E, at relevantradio.com and follow me on Twitter, at Kale Clark, C-A-L-E, Clark with an E. Hey, this past Sunday, not only was it Divine Mercy Sunday, but just yesterday, we also saw the story of Doubting Thomas. Now, doubt is is a huge part of our faith journey, and it might seem like a bit of a paradox. How can doubt be a part of our faith journey? But we've all gone through doubt. We've all been doubting Thomas at some level. And if this has happened to you, how have you dealt with this? How have you dealt with your religious doubts? 888-914-9149. What advice would you give? In fact, my wife Trish and I know several Catholic families with a lot of kids and it seems like in just about every case, some of these kids who've grown up to be adults have, at least one of them, at least one of them has departed from the faith. They, they've dealt with doubts, and so far they haven't resolved those doubts. What advice would you give to a, a friend? If you haven't gone through it yourself, what advice would you give to a friend, a family member who's going through doubt? 888 We've got so much more on the program to come as well. But as you're calling in, I want to fill you in on what you might have missed last week. It's The Week That Was by producer Jim Shaper on The Kale Clark Show. Let's go to the phones right now. Let's go to Steve in Minneapolis. Hi, Steve. Hi, Kale. About a year ago, I started listening to uh, Relevant Radio. And for some reason, I, I ended up on one of your listener commercials. Uh, oh, really? <laughs> it's kind of funny. Driving down the road and listening to your own self on the radio. I called about purgatory. And you answered the question, and I remarked by saying, well, I don't know where I'm going to land on all this Catholic stuff, but you really got me thinking, and um, I'm pleased to tell you that it was at the Easter Vigil that I, after a year of RCIA and a lot of soul-searching, a lot of reading, a lot of listening to Kale Clark on the radio, I am now officially have come into the church. Oh, thank God. Praise God, Steve. That, that, that is so amazing. I'm so glad that you called back in to, to tell us that. That's incredible. Congratulations. And, and Kale, I mean, thank you. And, and honestly, your show in particular really answered a lot of questions. And you, you didn't even realize this, but you are slowly discipling me over the last year through different, different um, radio episodes where I'd have questions. I, I feel like you have been a mentor to me in many ways. I just needed to call you and tell you that God used you to bring me home. And uh, I, I just want to thank you. I'm joined right now by the legendary broadcaster and voice of the Chicago Bulls, on the score radio in chicago he's a great friend of the program chuck swirsky really appreciate you taking the time happy easter and how you doing i'm doing well kale i'll be better about uh, 10 o'clock on wednesday night if the bulls <laughs> win i want to talk about first of all your book which came out this season it's called always a pleasure published by eckhart's press thank you for uh, mentioning the book it's a book that i try to highlight positivity and passion and purpose and perseverance 
mm-hmm. uh, because those are building blocks and stepping stones, not only to get to the level where I am, but also for young people who want to build a foundation of hopes and dreams and accomplishment with the destination in their journey. And to me, that's what it's all about. A woman was shocked to find that a 15% tip was added to her bill after a doctor's appointment. This is unbelievable. Do you think tipping culture has gotten out of hand? Dr. Steve is on the line from Northern Michigan. Dr. Steve, what do you think? I think the bill's fraudulent. The usual bill for even for a complex physical exam for Medicare guidelines is about 200 to $300 tops. Mm. So that's how, that's how much we get paid as a family doctor for those services. Wow, wow, that, that's, 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 a, that's an angle on that that I hadn't thought of, that the whole thing was fraudulent. It's quite possible. If you're, if you're preaching all this falsehood about God, it, people are only going to believe it if you're raised from the dead. So this is the validation of Jesus' personal message. Some believed right away, like Dionysius, the Areopagite. He was one of the guys who hung out there looking for the latest news. And there was a woman named Damaris and some others with them. So, so people did believe. So either, no, this is crazy, wait, I need to think about this, or yeah, I believe. Those are, those are essentially still the three reactions today. And so Luke knows this when he's talking about the resurrection. And I think that's why he takes great pains to, to back it up because he knows that the, the objections that people have in the culture, and people still have a lot of objections about it today. They did in the first century, they do in the 21st century, but that doesn't make it any less true. Yeah, that's right, and that was the week that was on The Kale Clark Show. My thanks to producer Jim Shaper for pulling that together. We hope to have another exciting week this week, and yeah, objections to the faith, as you just heard at the end there, people have them, and that's one of the reasons why maybe they have some religious doubts. And I was really struck by listening to the gospel yesterday at Mass, the Feast of Divine Mercy, Sunday after Easter. Such a powerful, powerful scripture from the Gospel of John chapter 20. It says, On the evening of that first day of the week, when the doors were locked, where the disciples were, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. So I want to just stop here for one second. In John's Gospel, there is this phrase, the Jews, and, and he, he doesn't really qualify that. And that's led to, unfortunately, a lot of anti-Semitism over the years, over the centuries. He, he certainly is not inferring that uh, all people of a Hebrew background are, are inherently uh, off base or anything like that. Of course, Jesus is Jewish. So are all the apostles, Our Lady, and a lot of the early believers. Many, many Jews believed in Jesus as the Messiah. And really what we have in the Catholic Church is Judaism opened up to all the peoples of the world, to the Gentiles as well, that they might be one in Christ. And that's what St. Paul talks about in his letter to the Ephesians. He does a really great job with that, of talking about this dividing wall between the two groups being broken down so they can be one body in the Lord. Anyways, let's get back to the text here. Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples rejoiced. When they saw the Lord, Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit, whose sins you forgive are forgiven them, and whose sins you retain are retained. And just interject really quickly, there we have the sacrament of confession in the scriptures. That's 
the main really place in the New Testament where Jesus institutes this, and we can talk more about this later. But I want to get to this whole aspect of doubt. And then we hear about Thomas. It goes on to say Thomas, called Didymus, which means the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples said to him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger into the nail marks and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now, a week later, his disciples were again inside and Thomas was with them. Jesus came, although the doors were locked, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. He says this a lot. It's the third time he said it in this gospel. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and bring your hand and put it into my side and do not be unbelieving, but believe. Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you come to believe because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and have believed. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book, but these are written that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that through this belief, you may have life in his name. And so this interplay between belief and doubt, one 914 is the toll-free line to call me on the Cale Clark Show here on Relevant Radio. I asked you off the top, have you ever struggled with doubt, religious doubt, intellectual doubt when it comes to the faith, maybe emotional doubt? How would you reconcile that? What advice would you give to other listeners who are, let's face it, there are millions of people out there who are struggling with this, 888-914-9149. So I'd love to hear from you or what advice you give to somebody else who might be struggling, friend, family member. Uh, it'd be great if you could call in with your take. Uh, I read a good piece about this by Mike Lycona. Uh, Mike Lycona, uh, he studied with... Um, and has written books alongside one of my former professors, Dr. Gary Habermas. You've heard me talk about Habermas a lot because he's the world's leading expert on the resurrection of Jesus. And I had the great privilege of uh, taking a couple courses with him as a visiting professor. And uh, he's also written a lot about doubt. He, he has a book called Dealing with Doubt. And this is, this is part of the faith journey of, of just about everybody how doubt and belief and overcoming those doubts really, really uh, is a part of our growing in the Lord. And so uh, Mike Lycona uh, wrote about this uh, on uh, William Lane Craig's website, and he, he talked about how he's kind of a perpetual second-guesser, and, and I, can, I can certainly emphasize with that. I, I have a bit of an analytical personality. <laughs> I like to kind of take things apart and really delve into uh, all, all sides of a, of a decision. And, and it sounds like Lycona is a lot like that as well. He talks about how he second guesses all kinds of decisions, uh, even in insignificant matters. And yeah, I, I'm kind of like that too. Guilty as charged. I'll spend maybe too much time. You know, is this pair of pants a good buy, you know, in terms of value features? You know, really? Is this really important? And certainly that's the case when it comes to big ticket items of life, when it comes to Decisions about vocation, decisions about belief. What are you going to stake your eternity on? Who are you going to stake your eternity on? Uh, marriage. Uh, don't worry, Trish. I haven't had any second doubts about our relationship. Never has. Uh, never have. And that, that's been a great grace, actually, from God. I, older girlfriends? Yeah, I did. I, I really would drop the list of pros and cons. Not so romantic. 
not so romantic. I wouldn't recommend that, but uh, never with my marriage. But in terms of faith, a lot of people do have these doubts and they, they ask themselves, am I, am I only a Catholic because I've been born into it? Because this is what I've been brought up to believe. Is this an accident of birth? Um, if I had been born in a, in a predominantly Hindu country, would I be an enthusiastic supporter of the Hindu faith? These are questions I used to ask myself all the time when I was a teenager before I kind of walked away from my faith, became an agnostic. And so Mike Lycona deals with this in his article, this, this question, what if I'm wrong? And he said, well, on one hand, I've got the peace that St. Paul describes as being kind of this inward confirmation of the Spirit of God. He talks about this in his letter to the Romans, chapter 8, especially verse 16. But here's the thing. Mormons also say that they have a peace from God that their religion is right. They, they talk about, and if you've ever uh, spoken to anybody uh, who has a Mormon background, and, and they're, by and large, wonderful people. And uh, Kay Richardson, a former Mormon, uh, was on my Faith Explained show. Uh, we had a series on Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnesses, and she came on kind of at the end of that series to talk about how she converted to Catholicism. But we had this conversation, and uh, Mormons will say, when you ask them, how do you know that the Book of Mormon is true? They'll say, well, I prayed about it, and I had a burning in the bosom, and sort of this peace in my heart that it was all true. Well, the problem is, that seems a little subjective. Uh, I mean, the burning in the bosom could be last night's double anchovy pizza. I, I don't know. But other religious groups say something very similar. I have peace from God that I'm right. But they all can't be right because all these other religions contradict each other as well as the Catholic faith. So how do you know whether your peace is really from God? Well, Lycona talks about when he was, when he was studying uh, at the same school where, where Dr. Gary Habermas was teaching, uh, he, he said that he would go and visit him and talk to him about this because he wrote this book called Dealing with Doubts. And Habermas kind of, kind of explained some things to, to, uh, to Mike Lycona. And he talked about a couple of things that we really got to get straight right off the get-go when it comes to this question um, of doubt. And here, here's the first thing. Here's the first thing. We have to recognize that having doubts is completely normal. It's completely normal. Sometimes we think that we are uh, guilty of a great and unforgivable sin if we ever have a religious doubt. Now, to persist in obstinate unbelief is a different question. Uh, not wanting to look for the answers to your questions, uh, not caring about it, that, that's a different ballgame. But all throughout the scriptures, and I, I could go on for a long, long time, I'm not going to, but I'll just give a couple examples of people in the Old and New Testament. We already talked about uh, doubting Thomas, quote-unquote, so we'll, we'll just leave him for now. But even our father in faith, Abraham, and uh, during the Genesis series on the Faith Explained, we spent a lot of time dealing with Abraham. Now, God told him he was going to have a son, and, and there would be a multitude of peoples who would spring from that son, even though he was in his old age, and even though his wife was beyond childbearing years. But there were times when he doubted that promise. When, when he was afraid for his life, 
he 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 told a, a ruler that that Sarah was not his wife but his sister, and it put her in great danger. She became part of the king's harem. I don't think anything ever happened. God was able to get her out of it, but you think Abraham had learned his lesson? Well, not too long afterwards, he does the same exact thing again, and Sarah once again becomes part of a harem. She gets out of it again. God takes control of the situation, but this is something that we have to understand, that even somebody like Abraham, who is maybe the charter member of the Hall of Fame of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11, struggled with doubt. And we'll just, we're just, I'm just going to give you one more example about this, about how doubt is completely normal in a life of faith. Let's look at John the Baptist. Let's look at John the Baptizer. When he was captured, when he was in prison, when he was suffering in Herod's fortress called Machaerus, a very, very imposing structure, and of course uh, we know that he would be beheaded, he sent some of his disciples to go and ask Jesus, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect another? You can read about this, for example, in Matthew chapter 11. And he's languishing in prison. Now, why would he do that? He, he knows. He knows. He probably knows about his relative Jesus and his, who knows, maybe Mary told Elizabeth about this miraculous conception. His own uh, conception, his, in the old age, it's a little bit like, uh, Sarah conceiving a child. Uh, his parents were past age. It wasn't anything like the conception of Jesus, not by any stretch of the imagination, but still, God had to help. God had to help. And in spite of everything he knew about Jesus, in spite of baptizing Jesus and seeing these phenomena that happened, the voice of the Father saying, this is my son, uh, all of this stuff, he doubted when he was in prison. But what was the nature of his doubt? What was the nature of his doubt? Well, his doubt was a bit of an emotional doubt, which is different from an intellectual doubt. He knew, should have known intellectually, who Jesus was, what he was all about. But because of his situation, the fact that he was in prison, languishing, he's like, why am I still here? What is going on? My life is in danger. If Jesus is really the Messiah, why doesn't he bust me out of here, do a prison break? Well, I'll tell you why he thought that in just a second. Got to go to a phone call right now. Joe is in Bristol, Pennsylvania. Hi, Joe. Hi, God bless you for all that you do. Oh, thank um, you, Joe. I, uh, I'm, I try to be as involved as I can, um, and I'll say it publicly. I don't care. Most people know who I am in this area uh, of uh, PA, but I, I, I work with uh, Pennsylvanians for Human Life. Um, I help as much as I can, even for Pro-Life Union, Pat Stanton. And there's a mm. lot of groups all the way you know, throughout the Philadelphia area and this lower end of Pennsylvania that are really involved. And, you know, I came from a place that wasn't so good, to be honest, a childhood that was sweet and mostly sour. Um, I had to find my faith my own way. Uh, I found it through Harvest Crusades, uh, Pastor Lori. I'm not going to lie about it. I'm a staunch Catholic, but that's where that kind of brought me back. Mm. And, and I've, I've fallen off the rail several times, as we all do, because that's, you know what? We are, we are imperfect. We are not Jesus Christ. We are imperfect, and we, and we, we do sin, and we have to realize that. It's great to strive to be the holiest person that you can, but no matter what, you can't match. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, God looks for this. And the, and the greater your sins and the greater you ask for forgiveness, the greater his mercy. So I'm just going to give the public, and, and hopefully uh, you already know this, I'm sure. Mm. Maybe I could just parallel some things in a different way. Um, 
I try every time I go off the rails thinking, well, I'm doubting this or I'm doubting that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Get the church, get the church even more take get to the body and blood of Jesus. That that's going to help you cure mm-hmm. it right away. Okay. Go to that immediately. Okay. Uh, and receive communion as much as you can. Um, and you can find, you know, if, if you're, if you can't find it practically by looking at all, all of the, the Bible, the, the, you know, the, 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 what's been handed down even verbally by the church and all of that. Okay. If you can't accept it that way, well, you can accept it maybe possibly another way. Look at the opposite of God and Jesus. This is what you're going to find. Okay. We can find truth in the Lord by looking at the opposite. Now, I'm going to compare our society today to compare to what it was supposed to be. We were a Judeo-Christian society. We were built on all of those tenets uh, way back when, you know, 1776, before that, we tried to, you know what I mean, even before, you know, our, our uh, christening of, of who we really were. And the bottom line is we built that on our on a lord our lord jesus christ and and the bottom line is look what's happened in recent years slowly but surely the, and i'm saying the devil has yeah. creeped in in, in a very no, very so. ridiculous way in a subjective way so look at look at the morals this country had mm-hmm. look at the ethical value look at the patriotism do you remember one nation under god we were proud to say that we're not even allowed to say it now practically we've wiped everything we've wiped god from the face of the earth we've wiped god from public Public schools, we haven't, of course. You know what I'm saying. Society is yeah. trying to do that. Yeah, and, and the- absolutely. Let, let me just jump in, jump in for a second, Joe, just because we're uh, we're up against a, a break, and I, I know you have I know you have to to go to in a second. But I just uh, wanted to comment on a couple things that, that you said there. Um, clearly, we are in a situation in terms of the culture where it's been said by by many authors that this what's been called the post Christian society, the post Christian culture winds up looking an awful lot like the pre-Christian culture. In other words, the culture of the pagan Roman Empire that the earliest members of the church, the early Christians, had to evangelize. And that, that has its challenges for sure because there, there doesn't seem to be as much of a shared system of belief undergirding it all. But at the same time, it provides an opportunity as well. And I think that's, that's what we really have to focus on, the opportunity before us to evangelize. And I think in a lot of ways... Because of that, and that, I, I want to talk a little bit more about this tomorrow, but because of that, I, I think sometimes people can look at the gospel with fresh eyes and give it a fresh look in, in ways that they maybe would not have. Because sometimes when you're in a predominantly Christian culture, you can be a bit inoculated against the gospel. You think you've got it. You think you've heard it. And uh, I, I, think, I think that's something important to think about. So I, I'm, I'm thank you that you raised, thankful that you raised that, Joe. And the other thing that you talked about was the Eucharist. When, you, when you've gone through doubts and struggles, you will always turn back to the Eucharist. It's funny you said that because just today I was talking with my wife about this, and she said that when she was in college and she was thinking about different aspects of the faith that she was questioning, she, she never abandoned her faith. But one of the reasons why was because she always said to herself, do I believe that Jesus Christ is present in the Eucharist? Body, blood, soul, and divinity. Yes, I do. I still believe that. I still believe he's there. So she kept going. She kept going to Mass, kept receiving the Eucharist, and said, you know what? These questions that I have about other aspects, I'm going to just have to keep digging, keep searching, keep trusting, and I'm just going to have faith that those questions will be answered because I know I believe this. And if I believe this, I think the other stuff is on a good, solid foundation as well. And that's, I thought that was, uh, that was an intriguing insight by her as well. So 
I'd love to hear how you deal with doubt, uh, how you've dealt with it in your life, what different types of doubt there are. We get into emotional doubt a little bit more after the break. 888-914-9149. Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Yeah, don't stop believing. That's what Steve Perry sang about. That's what we preach every day on Relevant Radio. Be right back. explain it to others. It's the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Hey, welcome back to the program. 888-914-9149 is the number to call. We're talking about dealing with doubt. Hey, Doubting Thomas, he gets a bad rap, but come on, put yourself in his, would you, would, put yourself in his sandals. Would you have not done exactly what he, I know I totally would have reached my hand into Jesus' side. I would have done it. You would have too, probably. But how do you deal with your doubts in the religious life? 888-914-9149. What advice would you give to somebody else who's struggling? 888-914-9149. Just before the break, we were talking about how everybody doubts. It is normal in in a certain sense, okay? Because um, the fact that we can be confident and sure that the Catholic faith is true does not mean that we never have nagging doubts about certain issues. Some of them might be big, some of them might be small. And there are times when we can hold these things in tension. And throughout the scriptures, there are all kinds of people who experience doubts. They're considered great saints by God, like Abraham. And so we have to keep that in mind. We talked about how there are different types of doubts. There is certainly intellectual doubt. A lot of people have those. They just can't understand why the Catholic Church teaches X. Well, maybe an issue of faith or morality, or maybe they just want to see the evidence. Where's the beef? You know, where where is the evidence that these things actually happen? There's so many people that think that the Catholic faith is nothing but a bunch of fairy tales, and there's no actual evidence for this stuff having happened in history. Au contraire, there, there, are, there is a ton of evidence, especially for such an event that we just celebrated, the great feast of our faith, Easter the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. But even in the case of the resurrection, and and I talked before about uh, Dr. Gary Habermas, one of my former professors, he's considered the world's leading expert on the resurrection of Jesus, spent a a great chunk of his career researching it. Even in that case, we, we, we have a ton of evidence. We have so much evidence for the resurrection, but it's a kind of, the kind of proof that gives you some wiggle room in that you could find a way out of it if that's what you're looking for. If you're looking for a loophole, if you're looking to disbelieve, then somehow you could, you could look at the same set of facts and, and it's plausible that you might come up with a different explanation. But I do think, I do think that the resurrection happened, obviously, and the facts that we do have, and we talked about this a lot last week on the Faith Explained show. We talked about the five minimal facts that are agreed upon by the vast majority of scholars who study the resurrection, and Habermas compiled them, uh, decades worth of research. And even 
secular historians, even atheists, even people who belong to other faiths will grant you these five minimal historical facts. Well, here's the thing. You have to explain these facts somehow. You've got the set of facts. You've got to explain them. I think the best explanation is the resurrection, the physical resurrection of Jesus from the dead. It's the only thing that really makes sense of all the data in the best possible way without leaving any gaps, without leaving any gaps. But here, God, God usually gives, gives you enough evidence to believe, but you have to take that next step. He doesn't take away your free will, usually. Now, with some people, he does. With Saul the Pharisee, he took away his free will. He, you know, Saul's out there murdering Christians, being an accomplice to murder in the case of the first martyr, St. Stephen. He's on a rampage. Jesus reveals himself to him, and he has no choice but to believe that it's true at that point. He's taken away his free will, and then he becomes an apostle. He goes from persecutor to propagator of the faith, the greatest evangelist of all time. But with most of us, that's not how it works. We, we, we are left with the decision. Now, we've we got to go in the, the direction the evidence is pointing us, but this is where doubt can creep in. So we talked about different kinds of doubt, and this, this whole idea of emotional doubt— I, I tread very lightly here because I don't want to psychoanalyze John the Baptist, but it's possible that he was maybe dealing with emotional doubt when he was in prison and he was kind of unsure about what was going on with Jesus and his plan. Why is he still in prison if his relative Jesus is really the Messiah? And so life essentially, as Michael Icona says, was not turning out for John as he might have expected. In fact, it was darn, darn unpleasant at that moment. He's languishing in, in Machaerus, this fortress prison of Herod the Great that he had set up, and he's struggling. He's really struggling. And, and so he sends disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one who was to come? That's code word for, are you the Messiah? Or are we to expect another? And what's interesting is that Jesus does not does not upbraid John for his doubt. He doesn't say, you, you tell John to get you, he better get his act together, and I can't believe that he's struggling with doubt. That's not what he said. In fact, this is what, this is what Jesus actually said. He's talking to the crowds about John. He said, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? And there's a reference to John preaching uh, by the Jordan River. Did you go out to see a reed shaken by the wind? What did you go out to see? A man dressed in fancy clothes? Look, those who wear fancy clothes are in the homes of kings. What did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. I tell you the truth. Among those born of women, no one has arisen greater than John the Baptist. Now, what's interesting about this is that Jesus says this to the crowds even before he knows what, I guess you could say as God, he does know everything, but he, he doesn't know what John's response is going to be when, when these guys go back and say, here's what Jesus said. And Jesus gives him some pretty solid evidence, by the way, about who he is. Because what does he do at that very time? John's friends are there. He does a whole bunch of healings. He does a whole bunch of incredible miracles. Um, it says, is what, and I think Jesus says, go tell, John, go tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, 
and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is he who takes no offense at me. It's in Matthew chapter 11. Now, why does Jesus answer the way he does, by the way? Why doesn't he just say, yeah, yeah, go ahead and tell John I'm the Messiah? Well, the Dead Sea Scrolls helped to fill us in on this because the Dead Sea Scrolls were written around the time of Jesus, between the last three centuries B.C., 3rd, 2nd, 1st century B.C., and also some of them were written in the 1st century A.D. They're, they're not Christian documents. They were kind of written by an apocalyptic sectarian Jewish sect, probably the Essenes. But they, they do shed light on what Jews who were living around the same time as Jesus thought the Messiah was going to do. Now, here, here's what one of the Dead Sea Scrolls says. This is a, a, a fragment that was found in Cave which was kind of the mother load where most of the scrolls were found uh, down by the Dead Sea in the, in, the, in, the, in the wilderness. It says, For the heavens and the earth will listen to his Messiah, for he will honor the devout upon the throne of eternal royalty, freeing the prisoners, giving sight to the blind, strengthening out the twisted, that's like twisted limbs, that's basically what that means, the Lord will perform marvelous acts, for he will heal the badly wounded, will make the dead live, he will proclaim good news to the meek, give lavishly to the needy, lead the exiled, and enrich the hungry. That's really interesting because that, those are exactly the things that Jesus was doing. So this was these were not Christians writing this, okay? This is what a lot of people expected the Messiah to do when he showed up. Give sight to the blind, heal the lame, raise the dead, proclaim good news, give to the needy, enrich the hungry— Jesus has done all those things. So why is John, why would he even be doubting in the first place? Well, one of the things the Messiah was supposed to do was free the prisoners. That's what it says in the Dead Sea Scrolls. And John sat there thinking, why am I still here? Do the prison break already, Lord? And so maybe that was the source of his doubt. Who who knows? Who knows? But Jesus says, you're just going to have to trust me about that part. And sadly, you aren't getting out of here, John. You're... You'll get out, but not in the way you think. Uh, you're going to be set free from this earthly life, and uh, your your soul will ascend to the Lord. You're going to get your body back at the resurrection. And no, you won't have to carry your head on a platter. We're gonna we're gonna put it back together, much better. But in terms of your question about am I the Messiah? Yeah, I've just answered you in in the most culturally relevant way possible. Now, if Jesus had said yes, I'm the Messiah too, the Romans would have caught wind of that. Uh, politically, that would have been kind of dangerous, but he's answering him in a very, very culturally relevant way. And that's that's all kind of background to this answer that, that John gets. And so it's comforting to know when, when you're struggling with doubt that people far greater than you and I have done exactly that. Jesus says there's nobody greater born of woman than John the Baptist, yet even he struggled uh, in his humanity uh, with doubt because he because he doesn't know the whole picture let's go to the phones right now 888-914-9149 let's go to daniel in sacramento california hi daniel daniel are you still there hi daniel you're on the air yes god 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 bless you you guys all the work you do yeah well when you you, what you gotta do you gotta go to the faith see st thomas teaches that um our faith is anchored in reason. And anchored then Father Rocky said the other 
Yes. Father Rocky the other day said something in St. Thomas, too, and this really put the two things together. Mm. But faith is more certain than reason. Mm-hmm. So when 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 we are, and this the other problem is we're not like angels. We can't see everything. Mm. We have we go we can just see a limited thing. So we can't see all the evidence to make an act of faith. We can see all the evidence that we know. We always make an act of faith. So, but so when you're under doubt, you have to pray. That's not the time to to go to reason. Because that's the time when God is testing you. That's when he, the mm. you have to humble yourself and pray. Because the church teaches when you pray, that's when you get grace. And grace enlightens the mind and strengthens the will to do, yeah. do good and to avoid evil. So you have to humble yourself and pray. And then when you pass through that, then you'll get the understanding and you'll have your reason will be even, your, your reason will come up. Because, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I mean, there's so much evidence. You have to really, I mean, the amount of evidence to believe that the Catholic Church is one true church, it's, it's staggering. But when you're under, when you're having doubting, you can't, sometimes God withdraws all the evidence. So you have to, you have, it's a temptation to want to reason it out. You have to pray. And what, also what St. Thomas said, everything he wrote was straw. The most important thing was prayer. So pray, we have to pray a lot. Yeah, that's where the key is. You have to pray. Pray the rosary every day, holy hour every day. Got to go to mass every day, and you get the grace. And and because <clears throat> you have to humble yourself and uh, and pray, because sometimes God can withdraw certain things that, you, and then after yeah. you go through the trial, then then it then you're like, oh yeah, I understand it now. I I can reason it. Yeah, that's but a great point, right, Daniel. Let, you, let me. Yeah, let me let me jump in there. Yeah, I, I I see where you're going with that, and and you're absolutely right. When you said that, sort of the, the God sometimes allows these periods of trial for you to go through. Obviously, the person who comes to mind right away is Mother Teresa, Saint Mother Teresa of Calcutta, and so many people were shocked when she released, you know, posthumously. I guess you could say I don't know. If she released it, but certainly the publisher released uh, "Come Be My Light," which is essentially a lot of information from her spiritual director, letters that she wrote to him, and she confessed, and a lot of people had no idea about this, that during the years when she was uh, so celebrated by people in inside and even outside of the church for what she was doing, the incredible works of faith, that she was doing faith in action, faith and works working together perfectly on the streets of Calcutta, serving the poor, serving the lepers in the name of Jesus, captured the world's imagination she was going through this dark night of the soul that lasted for 50 years 50 i mean she had incredible graces from god before that and almost like these locutions these great experiences from she knew that the lord was talking to her telling her to do this but then after that he kind of withdrew his i guess the sensory benefits of his presence she didn't have those warm fuzzy feelings and she she struggled with this, but yet she knew he was still there. And so that's a great example. And you mentioned faith and reason and what Father Rocky was saying about that and what St. Thomas Aquinas says about that. And, and St. John Paul the Great in his great encyclical, Fides et Ratio, Faith and Reason, he talks about how you need both. You need both like two wings in order to fly in the Catholic life. And faith does go beyond reason, but it never contradicts reason either. It never contradicts it, but it, it does have to kind of go beyond that. And, and that's 
that is a gift in so many ways, the, the gift of faith. And we can ask God uh, for that gift. But again, it never, it never goes contrary to reason either. And this is another thing that we have to realize. And we'll, we'll talk about this after the break. Got to take a quick break right now. But the fact of the matter is that we do have to rely on reason for some of this stuff. And I'll explain how right after this break. 888 Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Be right back. Helping you keep your mind off traffic and on the more important things in life. It's Kale Clark on Relevant Radio. All right, welcome back to the program. 888-914-9149. I asked you how you deal with religious doubt in your life or how do you help other people to overcome it? 888-914-9149. Just yesterday, this Sunday's gospel was, of course, Thomas who got, uh, wow, way more than he bargained for, <laughs> the resurrected Christ, inviting him to touch the wounds of salvation on his resurrected body. Amazing. And so we talked about how doubt is a regular occurrence in, in the life of a believer. Let's, let's not uh, pretend otherwise. But the second thing that we have to know about overcoming doubt is that, yes, good evidence exists supporting the truth of the faith. And so when we talk about faith and reason, as we just did before the break, I had a call from Daniel in Sacramento. Hey, how about those Sacramento Kings, by the way? My goodness, what an amazing game on Saturday night against the Golden State Warriors, and they're up one nothing in the series. Game two tonight. But uh, have faith, Kings fans, that you might actually be able to pull it off. And, and that's not the kind of faith we're talking about here, but what's the evidence for our faith? We have a lot of it. We have great evidence for not only, and I talk about it a lot on this show and on The Faith Explained, for the historicity of the life of Christ, his miracles, his crucifixion, his death, his resurrection. So much evidence, and, and we're so blessed with that. And you don't have to, um, it, it, when it comes to our faith, it's faith based on evidence. It's a well-informed faith. It's not a blind leap in the dark. It, it's it's having enough light to take that next step. And we, we do have to take it. We do have to take it. And I think, I think, it's, I think it's really important. And the other thing that, that Habermas talks about as well, by the way, who wrote the book Dealing with Doubt, it's not, it's not just believers who have doubts. Atheists have doubts too. They doubt their atheism. And sometimes, sometimes we forget that. We think that the other side, quote-unquote, they're always so smug and self-assured about their position. That's not the case. That's not the case. And honest atheists and agnostics will admit that, yeah, they could be wrong. And there are moments where they feel that maybe they are wrong. And they ought to consider the evidence for theism, the evidence for belief. But I do think that in terms of the different worldviews that are out there, there, there is so much more evidence for the Catholic Christian worldview. I mean, just with the resurrection of Christ um, and everything that, that, that just surrounds it, uh, I have so many more reasons to believe that than to believe uh, any other point of view. And so let's look at uh, the next step. We have to realize, this is point number three, that we, we are never going to go through life with absolute certitude. I think we have reason to have absolute certitude, but there will be, there will be times of doubt. And maybe you are a person like me who, who, as I said off the top, I'm a bit more analytical about things and, and I have a habit of second guessing a lot of decisions and that's okay. It's maybe a personality quirk. 
maybe you've dealt with that. It, 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 some people are just wired that way to, to kind of doubt. And so, and that's kind of a, a gift in some ways too, because it does help you. One, one good thing about being a doubting Thomas, as it were, is that it does force you to look for the evidence for your belief. It does force you to examine these questions and you learn a lot through that process. Now, if you're, if you go through life and you've never had a doubt about your faith, that's good too. That's not a bad thing either because, uh, yeah, I'm not sure how many people are out there who can, who can literally say that, but, but that's a great thing as well to, to just have that, that certitude. And, and then the last thing, point number four, something that Lycona mentions, faith is more than just a feeling. You, you, may have, you may have times when you feel doubt. You may have times when you feel quite confident in your faith. But it's more than feelings. It's commitment. It's action. It's action. And, and this example of the man who has a son who's demon-possessed, uh, they come down off the Mount of Transfiguration, they have this mountaintop experience, and they, and they have to deal with this really, really tough case. And what does the father say? To Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. You can read about this in Mark chapter 9. He came to Jesus. He knew who to go to. And he, and he confessed his shortcomings. He's like, I do believe, but help my unbelief. And that's such a beautiful prayer. We can, we can really make that our own as well. Think about St. Peter. St. Peter doubted when he was walking on the water, walking towards Jesus and he, and he begins to doubt. He's looking at the water. He's looking at the obstacles. He begins to sink. Jesus has to reach out and save him. And people give Peter a hard time about that, but he was the only one who actually got out of the boat to, to make that commitment, to, to, to tread on those waves. So we, we can be safe within the boat and not take that step of faith, but th- this is exactly what Jesus wants us to do. We can't hedge our bets. We've really got to commit ourselves uh, to Christ. And so that, uh, that can be consistent and that can be compatible with not having everything worked out about every question that you've ever had about the faith. And that, that's okay. St. Augustine said that it's faith seeking understanding. It's not a blind faith. Augustine was a guy who examined everything from the intellectual point of view, but it's faith seeking understanding. I believe in order that I may understand. And so this is faith and reason working together. It's really, really important. And so I just love that. Let's go back to the phones right now. Let's go to Gene in Buxton, Maine. Hi, Gene. Hi, Dale. Hi. Hi, Kale. <laughs> Hello. Hey, I've been called you worse. <laughs> oh, no. How can we forget Kale? <laughs> no way. <laughs> That's just my own yeah, that's, that's okay <laughs> thank you um i i only came upon this particular show um about halfway and i heard your question and um it was daniel who called in mm-hmm. uh, yep. and and spoke about prayer and um and i so agree with him because prayer does so much. And so many years I was without. Um, and so many years, oh, I was a lost child. I was still mm. going to church, but I was yep. one of those lukewarms. Sure. And boy, 
I just, I didn't know it until I was listening to Relevant Radio. And boy, they helped dig me out in so many ways. Mm. And you have, you might have, I have a a very colorful family and, um, and I have all brothers and they have a different perspective. And Mm. um, I mean, of life in general, women are a little based differently. So the logical piece um, is seems to be a little more natural, although I certainly have embraced that piece. It's in because of <laughs> because of many pieces, my husband probably the most. Mm. Um, but but yeah. um, well, let me um, just jump um, in there. I think I think uh, th- thanks so much for that for that, Gene. I, I think that that's that's another good point. You you mentioned your husband helping you with that with that piece and. I think that that's one of the great things about the church in general, and also and also the people that that God uh, brings into our path. Very often, our spouse. I always like to say that my wife is. I think a lot of us can say this. You know, our, our wives are great spiritual directors for us. I mean, because they they know us very well, and and hopefully we can do this for them too. Um, friends, people that can kind of give a different perspective, so they can can be balanced and and maybe. Uh, they're great at, at an aspect of the faith that maybe you're struggling with, or maybe they can see things from a different perspective. And maybe you really are strong on the the effective component of faith, and, and maybe emotional doubts never creep in. But you need to maybe strengthen the the apologetic side, the reasons for our faith. And, and that, that's good to have the confidence that, yeah, the faith that I have, the trust that I have is based on solid evidence. And I can I can kind of kind of kind of relax with that and enjoy that and and that's 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 a good thing so i appreciate that gene really appreciate you in buxton maine we're gonna go to kelly also in maine hi kelly we got about 40 seconds or so so you're gonna have to make this quick sorry but i wanted to try to get you in that's okay it's a quick answer okay. um, my father took me out to lunch to tell me that jesus was just all a story and I said, Dad, I listened to him respectfully, and then I said, Dad, what year is it? And he told me, and I said, why? Why? Because an event on Earth happened that was so profound that time, we set our clocks to it. Yeah, you it got it. Because it's 20... 20- right? Right? Yeah, yeah, so absolutely right. Yeah, I love that, Kelly. And hey, you can set your clocks to this. I will be back in 23 hours for another episode of The Kale Clark Show. Thanks, Kelly. Thanks to everybody who called. Jim Shaper produced. Patrick Alock took your phone calls. God bless everybody. Take it away, Michaela. Thank you for listening to my daddy.